0: Welcome to our study today. I'm Ken Baer with Faith Dialogue, one of the pastors here in Celebration Florida. Every Wednesday we have a new study, a new message on this series called Pondering prophecy, you know, there may be a time in the future when we run out of material, but it's uh, not anytime soon We continue to get a lot of questions regarding um, or related to Bible prophecy And you know Bible prophecy actually occupies about 25% of the Bible 25% Of course much of it has been fulfilled, but there's actually much more that hasn't been fulfilled yet and um, There are limitless opportunities as a result to open up the scriptures and take a look at them in light not only of these uh, scriptures and the prophecies that they have, but also taking a look at, at the world today and taking a look at the modern conditions the the alignment of nations and the political climate that we see and we can see a lot of reason to to speculate and it's a lot of it is speculation but it's based on what we see and what we observe we can speculate that much of the prophecies that, uh, that refer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, of the Great Tribulation, of the rise of the Antichrist, all of those things are very near, even at the door. Now today, we are talking specifically about prophecies pertaining to Israel. And that's the people of Israel, the land of Israel, and the nation of Israel. Uh, the title of our message today is The Coming Invasion of Israel. And while this title may sound a little provocative, I can tell you that it's also true. Israel will be invaded in the latter days. We know this to be true, for it's clearly stated in prophecy. Uh, We know why why it will happen. We know the parties that will be involved, the aggressor nations, and we know what nations will be allied together against Israel, and we also know the ultimate outcome. So one of the things we don't know exactly is when this will happen. Uh, We do know that it will happen in the latter days. Our scripture today will be focused on the Old Testament prophet uh, Ezekiel and specifically his prophecies regarding Israel in these latter days. Now Ezekiel's call to be a prophet came at a, a very crucial point in the history of Israel. The city of Jerusalem was being threatened by the... Babylonians. The city uh, Babylon. Uh, Babylon was the dominant military power at the time, and the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar II had formed an alliance with the Medes, and with the help of the Medes, had conquered the Assyrians and their capital Nineveh in 612 BC. Shortly thereafter, uh, combined, they destroyed much of the Egyptian army and became the de facto ruler of much of the of the near east nebuchadnezzar then conquered the kingdom of of judah and ezekiel a hebrew prophet was taken captive and exiled back in babylon now god gave ezekiel a very important prophecy a prophetic vision concerning the future of the nation of israel in this vision god showed ezekiel a valley filled with a vast number of of dry bones. He told uh, Ezekiel that the dead bones were the house of Israel, which had been slain. God asked Ezekiel a question. He says, can these bones live? And then God answers his own question uh, a few uh, verses later in chapter 37, verse 12. This is what the scripture says. It says, thus says the Lord God, behold, O my people, I will open up your graves and cause you to come up from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up from your graves. I will put my spirit in you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, says the Lord." now the lord speaks again through the prophet ezekiel in the same chapter and says this this is verses 3rd 21 and 22. thus says the lord god behold i will take the sons of israel from among the nations where they have gone and i will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land and i will make them one nation in the land You know, this prophecy is much more than the Jews returning to their homeland after this brief exile lasts about 60, 70 years um, in uh, in the land of Babylon. This is an end time prophecy because this prophecy, in this prophecy, the Lord speaks both of the throne of David, which is a way of speaking of the Messiah, and also speaks of an everlasting covenant and being in the land of, forevermore in fact that word forevermore is mentioned three times verse 25 of that same chapter 27 says this the lord says then they shall dwell in the land that i've given to jacob my servant where your fathers dwelt and they shall dwell there they their children and their children's children forever and my servant david shall be their prince forever so again this is speaking of the latter days not just the return of israel Uh, the land, the people of Israel, to the land of Israel after the Babylonian um, exile. This prophecy that God gave Ezekiel regarding the regathering, the dry bones coming to life, we believe actually occurred and was fulfilled on one day, May 14th, 1948, when the nation of Israel was reborn as a sovereign nation, nearly 2,000 years of, after 2,000 years of exile from their land. It had never been done before. Who would have ever believed it? Up until 40, 50 years before it actually happened, uh, the odds were not very good. Uh, I started this discussion today telling you that we are speaking of, of the coming invasion of Israel. And the Bible tells us actually of two coming invasions or two coming wars or at least battles in Israel. Now the second one that we're not going to be talking about today uh, will also, uh, is also prophesied and it's very well known and it's known as the Battle of Armageddon. Uh, it's based on what the book of Revelation says about this battle or the series of battles. It occurs at the very end of the seven year uh, period of tribulation and we'll talk about that at some time in the near future. The one we're speaking of today is the one that's prophesied by Ezekiel specifically in chapters 38 and 39 of his book, Ezekiel. It is referred to by a number, it is basically referred to by the name of the aggressors, the aggressor nations, which is, it's called the War of Gog and Magog, perhaps you've heard of it. Let me read from the beginning of chapter 38, and then we'll take some time and talk about typically who scholars believe are these nations that are mentioned in this prophecy of Ezekiel. Uh, chapter 38, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophecy against him and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I'm against you, O God, the Prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. So let's pause there. Now this wording is a little unclear at first, especially if this is the first time that you've spent any time looking at apocalyptic language. Um, These nations, these names of these nations have likely changed in the people groups. uh, We don't use these names anymore for the people groups that Ezekiel knew. We do know, however, that whoever these nations are, whatever, whoever these nations are, and whatever they're planning, God is against it. Scholars have been able to identify these uncommon names first. The word God doesn't refer, refer to a nation but it refers to a position. It basically means chief, or prince or ruler. In the same way when we say the word Caesar, we don't immediately think of one person because we know that the name Caesar is applied to all of the Roman leaders over a long period of time. It means The big guy, it's the main ruler. So Gog is the name of the ruler. And now the other names are the nations of this particular alliance. First, they include um, the the nation that Gog rules, which is Magog. And the uh, scholars have identified that to be Russia. Then there's also Iran, which is Persia, Sudan, which is Kush, Libya, which is Put, and Tomar, uh, or Turkey, which is Gomar. Now scholars are able to track down these nations by looking into each of the tribes that had settled during the times of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 38.15 also says that God would come from the far north. And if you look at a map and you draw a line directly north from Israel, and specifically Jerusalem going straight north, you run smack dab into, into Russia. We don't know exactly when this war that is described by Ezekiel will take place. But we know that it has not yet happened. And um, it's my guess, and it's just an educated guess, that it will happen towards the beginning of what we know as the tribulation. And we'll see that, why that is in, in just a moment. So let's read a little bit more about this prophecy. We'll start at verse 4. God says, I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, your horses and your horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, Libya are with them, and all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all its troops, the house of Togarma from the far north and all its troops. Many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, uh, you will come into the land of those bought back with the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. You will ascend, coming like a storm, covering the land like a cloud, you and all your troops and many peoples with you you know it is really interesting as you read through this you see that god is being very specific about the timeline, the time period. This is the, the latter days and these nations, these, the people of Israel come from many, many nations. It's not just Babylon, they're coming from many nations. So let me summarize, give you kind of a, of a cliff notes. I used to love cliff notes. I don't know if you did, but when I was in school, I loved cliff notes. Cliff notes was an easy way to spend a half hour and understand a lot more from the cliff notes than I would by spending hours in the actual material. Um, So let me give you a cliff notes version of what we just read. This alliance of nations, including Russia, Turkey, Iran, Sudan, decides to come against Israel. They decide to come and take a spoil. The prophecy says that it's in the latter years when Israel has been gathered, when the land is no longer desolate, and where the people are dwelling in safely. And these nations at that time come against Israel. Now, while there are nations today that have pledged to defend Israel, kind of having a mutual defense pact, in this war, we see that Israel is on its own. Notice in the next verses, there are some nations that object, object to these nations coming in to take a spoil to be able to attack Israel. But nobody really lifts a hand. They just verbally object. Verse 13, it says, Sheba, Dedan, and the merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions will say to you, Have you come to take plunder? Have you gathered your army to take booty, to carry away silver and gold, to take away sacks and goods, to take a great plunder? Now, these nations Sheba and Dedan are referenced in the Bible. These are the names of the great-grandsons of Noah, And for centuries, people known as Sheba and Dedan were a wandering people. They migrated back and forth through the uh, desert areas of Arabia. Scholars identify Sheba and Dedan as the area of today's Saudi Arabia, likely including other countries in the Arabian Peninsula, including the UAE. Now, interestingly, it was in September of 2020 that the UAE signed a peace treaty with Israel. People that read Bible prophecy have asked often if the United States is in the book of Revelation. The United States is not only a world power today, but it is the preeminent world power. It is, the, it is by far the most powerful nation and the most wealthiest nation on the earth um however most conservative bible scholars and i don't want to define that term but let's let it just say that we mean that they take the word of god for what it says not what they want it to say most of these conservative scholars agree that we don't see a major role of the united states in the bible now from my perspective it, it's likely and this is just uh, just a, a speculation but it's likely the result of millions of patriotic, flag-waving Christians being taken up into heaven in the rapture prior to the tribulation. Think what it would be, think what it would do to our relationship uh, with the world and with Israel once the rapture takes the Christians out. However, we may see a possible reference in the United States. Verse 3 that I just read said this, it says, The merchants of Tarshish and all their young lions. The Apostle Paul was from Tarsus, not Tarshish. This Tarshish is associated in scripture with with the far west. And the verse in Psalms even mentions Tarshish with Sheba. Psalm 72 verse 10 says this, it says, The western kings, western kings of Tarshish and other distant lands will bring him tribute. That's, uh, That's into Jerusalem. The eastern kings of Sheba and Seba will bring him gifts. So this is the the prince that's in Israel, and he's receiving gifts from the far west, and that's identified as Tarshish, and the eastern kings, and that's identified as Sheba and Seba. You know, for years, we've had Bible scholars tell us that Tarshish could likely likely represent England or that area of Great Britain. The reason for that is that in Ezekiel, we find that Tarshish traded tin with Tyre. Uh, That's in Ezekiel 27. So Tarshish might have been a tin producer, and the Romans actually wrote about the Great Britain, the area of Great Britain, known as being tin producers. So for a long time, England has been known as providing tin. I don't even know if they do anymore, uh, but it was referenced by the Romans, and that's why scholars believe that this area of Tarshish actually could be Great Britain. And there's a reason for that. Uh, The scripture continues and says all the young lions. Now, England has been represented by a lion for centuries. And many speculate that the young lions spoken of Ezekiel in this passage that I just read are the English speaking offspring uh, of England, possibly Canada, the United States, Australia, and New Zealand. Interestingly, all of these countries, these four countries have uh, defense treaties um, with Israel. They're all friends of Israel. However, in this prophecy, realize they don't do do anything other than object. They don't lift a finger. They don't intervene militarily. Now, I said that I believe it is likely that this war of Gog and Magog happens either at the beginning of the tribulation or just prior to the tribulation. And the reason, I believe, is because of the outcome. Because remember I said Ezekiel not only tells us who the players are, but Ezekiel will also tell us what the outcome is. Chapter 39, the very next chapter, verse one says this, Behold, I'm against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and I will turn you around and lead you on, bringing you up from the far north and bring you against the mountains of Israel. Then I will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel, you and all your troops and the peoples who are with you. I will give you to the birds of prey of every sort and to the beasts of the field to be devoured. You shall fall on the open field for I have spoken, says the Lord God. And I will send fire on Magog and on those who live in security in the coastlands, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So God does it. God is the one that fights this battle for Israel. God does it all by himself notice in verse 3 it says i will knock the bow out of your left hand and cause the arrows to fall out of your right hand you know that's exactly what we would want happen to our enemy especially if you're writing during ezekiel's time when the primary implement of of war is a bow and arrow now this could refer to a massive failure to be able to launch various weapons of these armies um, and they all perish On the hills of Israel. Now, at the end of this prophecy, Ezekiel makes reference that the people recover, people of Israel, recover the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires. You know, it's possible that this is referring to um, Israel recovering these implements of war and turning them into energy. Now, it says something interesting it says, and they will uh, cause them to burn, uh, give out energy for seven years. Now, if Israel is using these implements of war in some way for seven years, there just happens to be seven years from the very beginning of the tribulation uh, to the end of uh, the end of tribulation. So tribulation is a seven-year period, and it's because of this that many scholars take a look at this verse, and they say, you know, that may be an indication of exactly when this war occurs. Also notice the very last verse I quoted. It says, Then they shall know, then they shall know that I am the Lord. The nation of Israel needs to know the Lord. This deliverance in the last days opens the eyes of the people of Israel and their hearts become somewhat tender. You know, during the tribulation, many in Israel will die, but at the end of the tribulation, all that remain will be saved. That's what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 11. You know, my friends, we are we are so close. We are standing at the door. We're very, very close to the beginning of the end. Now, I'm not sending a date. I'm not being an alarmist. I'm just telling you that we're seeing these nations, the technology and all the signs that are spoken of in the Bible coming into focus. It's kind of a jigsaw puzzle where everything is coming into a line. Now, when Gog, Magog, Rosh, Meshach, Tubal, and let's not forget all the other nations that join in, Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya. When these nations are all defeated by God's miraculous power, there'll be a huge power void. And many believe that this will be the time of the rise of what we often refer to as the revived Roman Empire, the last beast that is seen by Daniel. Now, Daniel speaks of the rise of this, this world leader, uh, we often call him the Antichrist. This is the individual that brokers a, a peace treaty uh, with Israel that is signed by many. And that peace treaty prom- prom- promises peace for seven years. Many also believe that this peace treaty also paves the way for the establishment, get this, the establishment of what we know as the Third temple in Jerusalem, what's known as the Tribulation Temple. Um, This temple and the temple sacrifices must be established at the midpoint of the tribulation, three and a half years, for the Antichrist comes and stops the sacrifices from being offered in the temple three and a half years, midway into the seven-year peace treaty. The fact that the Antichrist, also known as the little horn, the abomination that causes desolation, or just the beast, is not mentioned in these verses by Ezekiel, is regarded by many as a sign that this coming, of in, this coming invasion, uh, this invasion of Gog and Magog, occurs prior, prior to the tribulation, and again may result in the establishment of this final world Empire, as well as the rise of the leader we know as the Antichrist. And this also makes sense. If the Antichrist was this great world leader is in power at the time uh, during the time when Gog and Magog and all of their allies decide to attack Israel, God, the Antichrist would be involved. He'd be on one side or the other, you would see him mentioned somehow, but he's not. Uh, Also, remember I mentioned the United States, and the United States, if Israel was attacked, um, normally would be involved. The fact that the United States is not uh, involved at this time, other than these lions, these young lions of Tarshish, um, raising some vocal objection. That's the fact that the United States has been weakened significantly. And that's most likely both politically, and remember it only takes an election, as well as spiritually. Uh, if, if the United States was weakened that way, both politically as well as spiritually, uh, the United States could sit by and just voice uh, a slight objection, be one of these young lions that we read about. So this gives us an indication that perhaps the church has actually been raptured. Imagine the support of Israel that would be lost uh, politically in the United States um, if every single flag-waving, uh, vote-gathering Christian uh, is raptured, is taken to be home with the Lord. So let's get back to Ezekiel, and we'll finish up uh, with, uh, with a couple of prophecies from Ezekiel um, uh, for today's lesson. Now, God's vision to Ezekiel actually contains two distinct restorations, two distinct restorations. God not only showed Ezekiel that Israel would be restored to the land, that's a physical restoration, that's the provision. He also showed Ezekiel that Israel would be restored to God and to the Messiah it says I will save them from their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them they will be my people and I will be their God my servant David will be king over them and they will have one shepherd and they will walk in my ordinances and keep my statutes and observe them that's Ezekiel chapter 37 verses 23 and 24. Now, when Ezekiel refers to David, King David, in the Divinic Kingdom, it's a prophetic term, and it, it refers to the rule of the Messiah, who is David's descendant. Thus, the first stage of Ezekiel's vision, the physical restoration of the Jews, back in the land of Israel, occurred on May 14, 1948, and it's, it's occurring now. However, the second stage... Of Ezekiel's vision, the spiritual restoration of the Jewish people, and especially that uh, that Jesus is the Messiah, has to still still has to occur. This will undoubtedly happen, but it hasn't happened yet. God once again made His covenant promise very clear to Ezekiel. Let me read to you from Ezekiel chapter 39, beginning in verse 22. From that day forward, the house of Israel will know that I am the Lord their God. And the nations will know that the people of Israel went into exile for their sin, because they were unfaithful to me. So I hid my face from them, and handed them over to their enemies, and they all fell by the sword. I dealt with them according to their uncleanliness and their offenses, and I hid my face from them. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says. I will now bring Jacob back from captivity and will have compassion on all the people of Israel, and I will be zealous for my holy name. They will forget their shame and all their unfaithfulness they showed toward me when they lived in safety in their land with no one to make them afraid. When I have brought them back from the nations, and I have gathered them from the countries of their enemies, I will show myself wholly through them in the sight of many nations. Then they will know that I am the Lord their God, for though I sent them into exile among the nations, I will gather them to their own land, not leaving any behind. I will no longer hide my face from them, for I will pour out my spirit on the house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So we see that Israel will be, will be restored to God. You know, although God has brought the Jewish people back into their land, the Jewish people have not yet come back to God. Uh, today's um, uh, pollsters tell us that 78% of Israel is Jewish. However, in the 2018 Israel Central Bureau of Statistics, 43% of the Jews, almost half of the Jews represented in their survey, identified themselves as, as Halani. Now a Halani Jew means that they are secular. They're not religious Jews, they're secular Jews. And that's 43.2%, almost half. It's a fact that isn't known by many, but most of the pioneers, the father, uh, fathers of the modern state of Israel, people that we know, were secular and actually atheists. Many claim to be atheists. For example, um, for these athe- athe- atheistic Jews, God is dead, and the Holy Land actually became a homeland. All of the traditional holidays actually became national holidays in Israel. Jerusalem stopped being the heavenly city and became the very earthly capital of their nation. And some of these leaders you know, and you know them by name. Moshe Dayan, for example, the great Israel military leader and politician was a Jewish atheist. David Ben-Gurin, the, 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 the number one leader of Israel, the first prime minister of Israel that announced the, the, the establishments of the state of Israel was an atheist. Yitzhak Rabin, Uh, One of the names we know also from history, um, recent history, one of the military leaders and great military heroes and the fifth prime minister of the state of Israel also was an atheist. However, there are some changes. It isn't isn't huge. It isn't a huge revival going on, but we are starting to see some changes in Israel. Uh, One of them is the Messianic Jews. Messianic Jews were basically non-existent 40, 50 years ago, and today they number in the tens of thousands. Now, that's still a small number. However, they are deeply religious and committed. They consider Yeshua, Jesus, to be the Messiah, and they're becoming more and more visible in Israel. Another change in Israel is regarding the Orthodox, the Haredi, or the Orthodox community of the people of Israel is is growing, it's growing at a a, a double the rate of the general population growth and it's becoming nearly 15% of the people in Israel are now Orthodox. You know, presently, we're still all in the time of the Gentiles, before he went to the cross jesus said i have other sheep that is talking about the gentiles which are not of this fold i must bring them also and they will hear my voice and that we will become they will become one flock with one shepherd and that's exactly what we've experienced over the last two thousand years on on sunday we're teaching out of the acts of the apostles and we're, and we're seeing the Apostle Paul, for example, uh, the missionary to the Gentiles. And we're seeing the Gentiles come uh, to Jesus um, in the Roman Empire. I mean, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. By the third century in Rome, more than 15 to 20 percent of all the entire Roman Empire, most of them Gentiles, almost exclusively Gentiles, were Christian. Thus, for the last 2,000 years, we've been in what's called the time of the Gentiles. And there will be a time in the future when the Jews return also to their God, and then also to the great shepherd of their souls, and that is none other than Jesus Christ. In Hebrew, it's Hashua HaMashiach. So it's likely that this coming invasion of Israel, our topic for today, culminating with God's miraculous victory Over the enemies of Israel, actually, you know, some some people believe that the entire battle, this battle of Gog and Magog, may last less than half a day. That battle, that culmination will bring many in Israel to the realization that God has not forgotten the people of Israel. That God fights for them in the same way that God fought for Moses and God fought during the time of Moses and Joshua for the people of Israel. It's, you know, It's the Bible says, be still, be still and know that I am God. The prophet Jeremiah speaks of the coming restoration of the Jews spiritually to God. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though i was a husband to them declares the lord this is the covenant which i will make with the house of israel in those days declares the lord i will put my law within them and on their heart i will write it and i will be their god and they will be my people Now i just read to you out of jeremiah chapter 31 two verses 31 through 33 the prophet Zechariah, and i love this prophecy in chapter 12 also speaks of a coming time for israel He says and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Israel or Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me the one they have pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. My friends we need to pray for the people of Israel. We need to pray for the peace of Jerusalem as well. We know that there is a coming invasion But God will use that invasion as one of the significant puzzle pieces of the end-time roll-up that culminates with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together today. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.